Well, good morning, Radiant Church. Uh, it is an honor and a pleasure to, to speak here uh, and to share this, this pulpit and this time with Pastor Mike. And uh, he is a great leader for the church. You guys have a great, great leader. Uh, yeah. So we're going to continue on with our Be Radiant series. And in Acts chapter 10 is kind of our, our text that we're, we're uh, jumping off of or launching off of. Chapter 10, verse 38 It'll come up on the screen. It says, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Our big idea for this series is let's not attend radiant, be radiant. And there's a difference. We want to inspire action for change. And our community. So when Pastor Mike launched this series uh, just two weeks ago, he started with this idea of who is my neighbor? And that was the question the, the leader asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And Jesus responded with that story we all are familiar with, the Good Samaritan. The point was how genuine love inspires us to minister to those within our community. Genuine love inspires us to minister to those within our community. And last week, Pastor Braden shared about how can I serve our community. And, and he had this idea, as Pastor Mike shared, the service, our service flows out of our identity in Christ. Our identity in Christ. And often in the text, in the Bible, we see how Jesus says he had compassion for the crowds. Compassion for the crowds. And I looked up that Greek word, and I'm not going to try to pronounce it. It actually sounded more German than Greek to me, but I guess that makes sense because those languages are similar roots. So uh, in that word, though, it means, compassion means to feel deeply or viscerally, to yearn, have compassion, pity. When I read that, I thought, oh, this is like a, a deep, feeling and move of the heart for others. And this is how Jesus was feeling when he says this in Matthew 23 about Jerusalem. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? and you were not willing. That's compassion. A city that's shown to, to kill its prophets, to stone those sent to him. Jesus knew what they were gonna do to him, and yet he says that. I wish I could just gather you up like children. My son, Zach, I feel like does this well, compassion. And he shares, it, it's, we were watching a movie, I, Forget what happened in a scene, but we were watching, we did a Lord of the Rings marathon over this weekend. And uh, yeah, there came a point where somebody died. I forget, it was, I forgot because it was like an a abstract character. But my son's like sad and he's like, dad, he died. And I'm like, yeah, that's what the writers put in. Like it's, <laughs> it's just and it wasn't more out of his mourning for the character. It was more of how he felt about the other characters in the movie. And uh, he, was, he was just sad. He was just looking at me. And, he was, and I could see he was feeling 
the emotions of the other character who had lost this, like, fringe character that was just written out of the script. Uh, my son also does this well when, uh, if he finds me ministering to somebody or talking to somebody, he kind of comes up in a conversation and he feels it's heavy. He just puts their hand on their shoulder and sometimes he'll, he'll pat them. And um, I intellectually feel the tension of that moment. Like, what is this person thinking? And this 11-year-old is just coming up and like, Pat, is he wanting to ask a question? Like, what, what is he doing? And uh, I feel this tension in my mind. Like, what is that? What, what that person must be feeling? Because compassion doesn't come naturally to me like it does to my son. And that's why in this word, it talks about a deep feeling. Compassion's not an intellectual movement. It's not an intellectual movement. It's a movement of the heart. You viscerally feel it. So here's what I want you guys to know this morning. Compassion is easier than you think. It is one thing that you can actually fake it if you're genuine. Yeah. You can fake compassion if you're genuine. Here's what I mean by that. You don't have to feel compassionate to get compassion right. You don't have to feel compassionate to get compassion right. You just have to be genuine. It's the one thing you can actually do wrong with a genuine heart and it comes out right. There's a built-in safety net. Um, here's the, another truth. The more you do compassion the more compassionate you feel. So it, this has been my experience because I'm not naturally a compassionate person, but in my role in ministry here, I have to express a lot of compassion. And if you've been on a Bloom or Awaken event, you can understand that in a bit deeper way. But even when I meet with, meet with people midweek for personal ministry, uh, the more I've been around hurting and wounded people, the more I can understand and relate, even though it may not be my experience. Uh, one of the things I often tell people is, I've heard it all and I've done half of it. And if Pastor Michael or Braden are with me, I point at them and I say, they've done the other half. So that way, <laughs> try to make people feel more comfortable. But um, it's, it's something that you will grow in. And as long as you're genuine, the Lord honors it. So here's how we can be compassionate people. Here's how we can be radiant. In Acts chapter 8, we're going to talk about this story about Philip in the Ethiopian. So in verse 26, it starts out, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. If you guys know the context, Philip, before this, preceding verses before this, was having huge success in Samaria. Here he comes, and it's like these, how the Jews would view these kind of like half-breeds, right? Part Jew, part Gentile, not really, they, they disdained them. And here's Philip going over there and seeing his huge success in them coming back to the Lord. Here's the first point. The first thing I want you to know about being compassionate 
is God will challenge you. God will challenge you. And what I mean by that is God may call you out of success into something new. Because Philip was having success. The verses preceding that, verse 5 and through 8, it says, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. It finishes with, so there was much joy in that city. We often don't want to step into something new and we trick ourselves into thinking God has blessed where I've been and where I'm at, so it must not be for me to leave. And if we hold on tightly to what God has given us to steward, it will not grow beyond our ability. If you hold on tightly to what God has given you to steward, it will not grow beyond you. We all like want to leave a legacy, right? Legacy is birthed out of what you release, not what you hold. Legacy is birthed out of what you release, not what you hold. And if Philip had just said, no, God, I'm all right. I don't need to leave. We're doing so much here. The rest of this message wouldn't even have been written. The rest of this chapter, what we're about to hear happens would have never happened had Philip held on to the good things that God was doing in him. Is this making sense? So we need to allow God to challenge us. Sometimes that may feel like he's calling us out of success. It doesn't mean he's called you into failure, but you might be struggling out of something that was comfortable. It's because you've been hitting your groove. You're doing well. God has equipped you there, but now if we hold on to this, it's only going to grow to our capacity, which is always less than what God has. So give God permission to call you into something new. We continue on in Acts verse, chapter 8, verse 27. So Philip did that. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. In the spirit, what? What's that next word? Said, the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So God will challenge you. He'll call you out of something, maybe comfortability, comfortability. <laughs> he will call you out of comfort. He will also give you simple promptings. God will give you simple promptings. How many of you feel, and you don't have to, let's do a show of hands. Let's do that. Let's just try it out. How many of you feel the devil can give you thoughts? Yeah, I would agree. The, the devil can put thoughts in your head. Here's why I say that. Like you can be driving down the road and see the right or the wrong billboard and all of a sudden your mind starts wandering, right? Or you could hear somebody's name brought up in conversation. What if it's like, <laughs> let's just try this experiment right now. President Joe Biden, President Donald Trump, 
Probably all of you in this room right now probably had some negative thoughts, right? Those, we're not responsible for the thoughts that come into our minds, but we're responsible for how we engage with them. That's what scripture tells us. So the enemy will give us thoughts. The opposite is true. So can God. And if we're honest, sometimes we don't always want to acknowledge that because we don't want to take responsibility for the negative thoughts, but we want ownership of the good ones. And if we acknowledge that God will give us good thoughts, then we must acknowledge there's accountability to them. If we don't think the Lord will give us thoughts, I just want to challenge you for a moment. You're not serving the God of the Bible. You're serving a God of your own understanding because you've surrendered a whole realm of the human existence to the devil and your understanding of God as a limited God. Uh, this is what happened with my experience when I went on my men's event. It was called The Road at the time. And um, on our fast day, we're like learning to hear from God. And I always, I have Pastor Michael's permission. I always pick on him with this story. But he's sharing how uh, the Lord led him through a thicket. And he's like, I want to go on a trail, not the thicket, not the briar patch. And, and just this thought comes to his head, go in the thicket. So he goes in the thicket. And he's going, you know, through all this. And he, woods, uncomfortable, not prepared, not like a trail, but just going through the brush. And then he comes up and he like startles. It startles him and he startles an owl and sees this owl for a moment and then it, it flies away. And he was telling us later, sharing with a group, like, I just felt like God wanted me to see that to tell me I'm loved. And I'm listening to him share this. And in my head, I'm like judging him. Um, I'm like, no, you didn't. I'm like, this is just your thoughts. You didn't hear God. My, my upbringing, my background, like my knee-jerk reaction to that was always, do you have a verse for that? And that was kind of my thought, like, where's the verse in the Bible for that? And the moment I had that thought, another thought intruded my mind. It was just a simple question that said, you wouldn't deny me glory just because something's subjective, would you? And I knew that was the Lord. And I thought, no, I, I wouldn't do that, God. And in response to, to me responding to that thought, it was, hey, in, in Romans, I believe it's chapter one, it says that his divine attributes are displayed in nature. Like, is it a divine attribute of mine, of love, and can that not be displayed by nature? And it just hit me. I'm like, oh my gosh, like, Michael's hearing the Lord. <laughs> and... God followed, kind of finished it, capped it off with this statement. This, and these were just thoughts running through my mind. What we often tell people is, if it's smarter than you, it's probably not you. <laughs> and so this, the, the Lord kind of capped it off with this final thought of, hey, it is objectively written to subjectively experience me. And I just, okay, I'm not going to challenge that anymore. And um, it sh that shift in my heart changed everything to realize, oh my gosh, the divine like, would entertain a conversation with me in my head. Now, we have safeguards for that, right? Like we have the scriptures. It wouldn't, convict, or it wouldn't conflict scripture, but God will speak to you that way. He can speak to you that way. Uh, you know, Philip didn't have a Bible, 
when this happened. Like the Spirit said to him, you know who else didn't have a Bible? Abraham, when it says the word of the Lord came to him. How about in Matthew 16, 17, when, when Jesus asked the disciples, who do you think I am? And they're all saying, yeah, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say, you know, they're all speaking up. And then Peter says, you're the Christ. And Jesus' response is this, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I'm confident that how that looked at that time was uh, Simon's listening to all of the input and then a thought just sparks in his head. <gasps> He's the Christ. And he just says it out. And God, what does Jesus say? Flesh and blood didn't reveal it to you. That wasn't your own thought. But my father told you. This is what God will do. He will give you simple promptings. So what does Philip do? Verse 30. Philip ran up to him and heard him reading Isaiah, the prophet, and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come and sit with him. This is why God will give us simple, prompt, simple promptings. <laughs> this is why God will give us simple promptings. Because the Bible is not the tool to evangelize. You are. The Bible is not the tool to evangelize. You are. And if that's not true, we would reach the world by airdropping tracks across the whole globe. Now, that has led some to Christ. But just because we see an exception doesn't mean it's the standard. You are the standard for people to encounter God. You are the standard for evangelism, not this. That's why God gives us simple promptings because, can I just say this? Like your memory, the verse you post on Facebook has far less impact than the conversation over coffee. <laughs> right? Think about that. Of course, that verse could have produced fruit, could be a good thing. But I feel like my temptation would be, if we're honest, I've done my evangelism for the day, hit send. No, no you're not. That's a joke. And I don't think God finds that joke funny. I don't think that's his objective is for Well, let's just say this. It hasn't worked yet as a standard to reach the masses. It hasn't worked yet to shape and transform communities. Sure, it might impact a life, but it's not the standard God's using. And this is why I say that. The Ethiopian had God's word, was reading it, and he didn't understand it. And his response to Philip was, how can I unless someone guides me? 
How can I unless someone guides me? The Bible, guys, is a menu, not the meal. The meal is a relationship with the living God. And the menu describes how we can do that. You sit down at a restaurant, they don't hand you the menu and then say, all right, have fun, goodbye. <laughs> That's just the introductory. That's, oh, here's what I can experience here. Here's what I can have here. Here's what's available to me. How can I unless someone guides me? So God will give you simple promptings. And maybe even right now in your heart, I hope, I trust, if God's that good, there's already something dropping in your heart of like, oh, this could be something I can do. This could be a simple prompting. And maybe, maybe if that's you in your seat or if God hasn't do that, just ask him right now in a prayer, what can I do? What's a simple thing I can do? And if he hasn't done that yet, we could put up a slide. I'll give you some to do. And if, let, me, let me be so bold to say if one of these resonates in your heart, that could be a simple prompting from God. It's just a simple action. One I thought of that's not on here is maybe just write a letter to a friend who's had a lost loved one. And the Lord gave that to me this morning, so maybe that's somebody in this room. If you know if you know of a friend who's grieving, maybe it was a year ago, maybe it was two years ago, maybe it's coming up on the anniversary. Those, those wounds are not, they're wounds that linger. It's pain that lingers. It doesn't just go away because the funeral's done. In a simple act of, I'm thinking of you in remembrance of, maybe sharing a story about that lost loved one that, that, or if you've had a common relationship with them. That's a simple act of gesture that communicates compassion. Uh, and a while back, I felt like the Lord was just leading me to define what success is in life. And one of the lines in my definition of success is this, to advance God's narrative with others. And what that means, I believe God has a salvation narrative for every human on earth. Basically, like he has a plan for them to, to get saved. Now our hearts, God, God respects our will, so our hearts are always in play of that, but God, God has a narrative for your life. And salvation's not the end goal of that. That's a significant part of that, but there's a continual narrative. So my thought is, okay, Lord, help me advance that narrative wherever they're at in life. How do I engage with this person in a small way that moves the narrative along that you have for them? One of the things I feel like God has told me to do is to memorize the names of the cashiers at my local polys. I'm going there all the time, and I've remembered two of them. I won't share them now, but just trust me. I remembered two of them. Um, <clears throat> one, because it was unique, and the other because it was the same name as my mom. So they were easy, two easy ones. But here's, here, I don't know why. I do know this. When you hear your name, it communicates value to you. So maybe in that some way, I'm trusting the Lord with that. That's just one way I can communicate value to somebody is I use their name when I see them. I'm in there often enough, we recognize each other, so why not use their name? 
<clears throat> so God will challenge you. He might call you out, into, out of comfort. He might call you into something uncomfortable, unfamiliar, out of your comfort zone. God will also give you simple promptings. And then God will honor your simple obedience. God honors your simple obedience. The commentaries I read all agree that this Ethiopian was like a God-fearing Gentile. Actually, they said he's the first Gentile recorded to get saved. We, we often, in the scholarly world, I always thought that was Cornelius and his household. But it's not. This predates that. This was the first God-fearing Gentile to get saved. And they all agree, too, that he, because it says eunuch and a temple treasurer, like he was eunuch in the physical sense, which means he was not able to be a full convert under Jewish law. He's always on the outside. And actually, when he visit, he's on his way back from worshiping in a temple. And under Jewish law, he could not enter the temple. So here's a God-fearing God Gentile wanting to get into the presence of God, and he can't. At this time when he's reading Isaiah, we don't, they don't have chapters and verses like we do now. It was a scroll. The whole book was a scroll. And the eunuch would have most likely known this book. So just a few sections before, it says this. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord, that's the Ethiopian. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch Say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. This eunuch was hopeful and looking towards the day of this promise. I believe that. A man who longed for God and his people, yet could not enter into the presence of God. Little did he know that Philip was being obedient to a simple prompting. Philip was bringing that hope. The eunuch's only hope to be in the presence of God was for Philip to come up to him. And this is what Philip does in verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth. Everybody say that with me. Opened his mouth. And beginning with this scripture, he told them the good news about Jesus. What's the good news? The good news was the veil was torn. The separation is gone. And Philip brought the presence of God to the eunuch. Are you seeing what I'm saying? Why am I telling you this? That's because there are people today who long for the presence of God and they don't even know the hope that's set before them. There are those who won't encounter the presence of God because they believe they don't deserve it or they have to deserve it first. How many of you heard things like, oh, I'll burst into flames if I step in that church or I'll be struck by lightning or the walls will fall in around me? Maybe, perhaps, you're the one to carry the presence of God to them. If it isn't for you, 
they won't experience, like the eunuch. The truth is, we are all in that passage, like the eunuch. We were all the Gentile, right? I don't think anybody here, maybe, is a national Jew that is under the promise that God has for his people in this room. Um, we're all grafted in and given a monument in his house, a name higher honor than sons and daughters. Because someone went to you. And if we were to raise our hands and say, who got saved off a track, my expectation would be it's an exception of people in the room, maybe a few. Yeah, I see one hand out of a couple hundred. So don't let that be your strategy. Let, be, be a tool, use it, but don't let it be your strategy. You are the strategy. The simple truth is one man got saved from a simple prompting of go up to that chariot and the simple obedience that followed. It's interesting, Jesus, or the Spirit quit talking in this story after that point. Do you realize that? The Spirit just said, go up to that chariot. Philip goes up. He hears this Ethiopian reading scripture and then out of his own character, he opens his mouth. He's like, do you understand what you're reading? God quit talking at that point. God didn't tell Philip what to do. Philip just obeyed and then knew his mission and enacted on it. And I submit to you that most will never experience the presence of God until a simple gesture from you brings it to them. So we'll put that slide back up again if you missed it. Guys, God is not asking for grand gestures or shoot for the moon moments. It's just a simple obedience. Philip, we, I don't have time. Philip started serving tables, but his gifting was an evangelist. And we so much want to say, here's my gifting, I want to do this. But God might just say, serve some tables first. Philip served the vision of his house and it actually made room for his gifting as an evangelist. So my question is, who's discouraged that you can encourage? What can you do for the one that you wish you could do for the all? goal of this series is we want to inspire action for change in our community. So let's not attend radiant, be radiant. You saw on that wood wall the map, and that's what we're asking you to do, the map with those little sticker arrows. When the Lord prompts something in your heart and you do it, put it on a map where you did it. Put a sticker right here. I'm, I'm learning the names of the cashiers at Polly's. I wrote a letter to my friend. I'm, who knows what? I paid for somebody's groceries. I did a car wash. Whatever the Lord's prompting on your heart, a simple act of obedience. The lie is this. Here's the lie we're told. Nobody's getting saved by learning names, washing cars, or picking up trash. But the truth is, a man did get saved 
because another just went up to a chariot. Don't let the enemy trick you in this. These things matter. You matter. And only you can display the unique image of God that he's put in you. And if you don't display it, the world has lost out on that unique image. Because God's that big to give us a unique image. Only you can display that. Only you can display the character of God you were meant to display. And these things matter. They change the cosmos. They have impact. So if you stand up, I'd like to pray for you, please. Father, I thank you for this church because I do believe this is a church that gets it. I believe, Lord, that because this church is submitted to you and your leading, we are changing the city. And I pray that that continues to happen. I pray for boldness over the members of this church to go and do the simple obedience. I pray, Lord, for ears to hear your promptings. I pray for a boldness to do the simple obedience, Lord. And I know, I confidently pray that you will bless the obedience. And so, Lord, I ask this week that just right now, all of us in this room, that you would deposit in our hearts. What's one thing I can do for you, Lord? What's one thing I can do for the kingdom? What's a simple thing that can change the cosmos?